It's the Criterion. It's the Criterion. 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 N. 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 Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Criterion Project. We are back with another review of a film available on the Criterion channel. Right now, this week, we are talking about The Heiress in honor of Olivia de Havilland, and we're really excited to do so. And I'm film critic Rachel Wagner, and Conrado is here. Yes, I am here. And I don't know if you heard my dog barking, everybody, <laughs> so I apologize for that. But he's also here. Um, and yeah, I'm excited to talk about this movie. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting. Uh, but how have you been? I've been good. I've been busy because, as you know, I've been working on a, on a very special project on a web series of my own. Um, so, yeah, so I'm excited to share that with everybody. It's coming up this week. The first two episodes will be released on uh, Wednesday, October 14th. Yeah, why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Sure, of course. So the show is called Wormholes, and it is basically a science fiction sitcom um, about a couple of roommates uh, played by my wife, Sajda, who's been on this show, and our friend, Gamal. And they are two, you know, kind of millennial roommates. And the thing is, they have a wormhole, an interdimensional wormhole in their closet of their apartment. So, you know, hijinks ensue um, as the wormhole kind of like does weird science fiction stuff. Um, I'm also in it. I play their super. Um, and I think uh, it's a pretty fun, funny show. So I would love for everybody to see it. It's going to be on YouTube in the Show Dogs NYC channel. And it's also, you can follow us on Instagram if you want to keep up with the show at wormholes.tv. Oh, great. Okay. Well, we can have all that in, in information in the description. So definitely, we'll definitely be checking it out. I'm excited to, to see what y'all came up with. It'll be really fun. Yeah, we're, we are very excited. We, um, we did all of it during quarantine. Um, it was kind of our quarantine project in mm -hmm. order to like keep us, um, you know, stimulated somehow. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and we're very proud of it. We worked really hard and we think people are going to enjoy it. So we're looking forward to um, seeing what people think. That's great. Uh, did you all write it as well? Yes, we all wrote it together and um, we also directed you know each of us directed a number of episodes so the first two episodes coming on wednesday actually directed by me so um i'm a little nervous about that yeah. but i feel like it's gonna be it's gonna come out good you know eventually of course it's gonna be released on the criterion collection <laughs> so um, then we can talk more about it on this podcast very good well congratulations that's exciting i will definitely be checking it out uh so uh, all right. Well, uh, so what have you had a chance with all of this to watch anything else on the Criterion channel? I've been pretty busy and yeah. I actually have been watching some stuff, but I just realized looking back at my kind of letterbox diary that not a lot of Criterion stuff, to be honest, but I did watch, this maybe is not totally on brand, but I recently rewatched Who Framed Roger Rabbit mm. and what an incredible movie that I would yeah. love to see on a kind of Criterion special edition DVD with lots of extras about behind the scenes and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and, that is, um, that would be really cool. Yeah, just like, because up to this day, the kind of 
things that they did with animation in that movie, I just think it's so magical. It's like, I can't even comprehend what they did, uh, you know, especially back then with no theaters, really. Um, uh, it's really, really something. I agree. I, especially, I mean, just the treat to see, uh, you know, Bugs and Mickey in the same scenes is, and uh, Donald and Daffy uh, in the same scenes is just surreal. It's so great, especially the, the Donald Daffy scene. That is, I think that is so funny. And, and yeah, mm-hmm. it, it's just like a, a wonderful movie for anyone who loves animation especially yeah. like we do right and and i think actually the story is somewhat relevant if you think about it with the uh, tunes uh getting uh um you know excised uh and uh getting discriminated against and i don't know there's something yeah. there i think too totally totally the tunes are basically like a minority in the movie you know mm-hmm. um and uh, yeah, and the whole story about their basically their neighborhood, Toontown, being torn down to build a highway and that kind of thing. So yeah, yeah, definitely still resonant to this day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that movie. I've also been watching some classics uh, for my Blind Spot series, not on Criterion, but I watched Apocalypse Now, which I thought I would hate, but I actually was kind of transfixed by it. Uh, the I don't know the spectacle of it the um the filmmaking of it i don't know i just found the whole thing very very interesting i can see why it's one of the you know the biggest films out of the 70s uh and then i also watched uh the original halloween uh with uh the um for my blind spot series and i you know i'm not a like a big slasher movie fan but I thought it was actually really well made, very well directed. Uh, the way that the you kind of always feel like the characters are being watched at all times. There's just this sense of uh, even they're doing something very simple. There's just the sense that someone is there in the background watching them. And I thought it was very, very well done. And uh, it's actually not that bloody. Um, it's uh, it is violent, uh, but uh but for being sort of the the uh the grandfather of slasher films i it's not it's not too bad as far as blood and that kind of thing and uh, so i i i liked it i actually enjoyed it so it's good to go out of your comfort zone sometimes yeah um two movies that you just talked about that i have seen and both times i thought they were fine you know, mm-hmm. um, I, I didn't think they were better. Some of those movies that you hear so much about and they're such, you know, they're talked about as these like redefining classics and then you catch up with them and, and they're good, but then maybe don't live up to what you were expecting somehow. Um, but maybe it's a good time to revisit them, especially Halloween, um, you know, since it's spooky season, maybe I'll give it another try and mm-hmm. maybe this time it'll click for me. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm my expectations were maybe actually kind of low because they were both out of my comfort zone films uh, that I wouldn't typically watch. But that's the whole point of the Blind Spot project is to get you know out of your comfort zone and and watch some of these classics. And so that might actually have like 
my situation may have been kind of unusual as far as my expectations uh, for both. And, uh, but yeah, I, I mean, they're not perfect. Uh, Halloween has some cringy acting and, and, uh, but I thought that the score does a lot of heavy lifting in the, in the movie. It's very, very effective. And if you're just looking at what is the movie trying to do, trying to be, I think it does it pretty, pretty successfully. Uh, and, uh, yeah. So when they're both from the seventies, uh, but apocalypse now, I don't know. I just, it was just such an unusual film and I found it <laughs> oddly transfixing. I can't even, I didn't expect to like it. I really didn't. And, uh, and I just, I don't know. It's just, it was just such a spectacle that I, yeah. that I enjoyed it. It's a very immersive experience. For yes, sure. that's a good way to um, describe it. So one, la- one last thing. W- which version did you watch of Apocalypse Now? Because there's a couple of different Yeah. Ones. So I watched the theatrical. I figured that was just the best sort of inch, uh, way to sort of start watching it. But I'm kind of curious to see the other versions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think you probably made the right call. Although I feel like at this point, the Redux version has kind of become the one that's the most circulated and the one that most people have watched. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, there's a, definitely a bunch of people who say like all the stuff that's added to the extended version with the French plantation and whatever, that's like, it's not very good, but you know, I feel like for a lot of people, that's the version they know and they have loved. So mm-hmm. um, it's interesting. if you like the movie, maybe it's worth checking out the longer version, see what you make of that. Yeah, I, I think I will one of these days once I've finished watching uh, 100, 100 Christmas movies. <laughs> Maybe I'll watch it. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so that's what I've been kind of uh, I've been up to as far as uh, uh, Criterion-like viewing <laughs> this last couple of weeks. Uh, but uh, it's been it's been fun. So uh, so yeah, let's dive in talk about the heiress. Uh, so I picked this because uh, this was the Academy Award winning performance for Olivia de Havilland. She recently passed away. I think she was 104. Uh, yeah, something like that. Incredible. Yeah. I'm so that actually. she's sort of one of the last of the, uh, uh, of the sort of golden age of performers. Mm-hmm. Of, uh, she was, yeah, she was 104. And two things I didn't know about this. Olivia de Havilland, she died uh, this earlier this year in Paris, France. And she was born in 1916 in Tokyo. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. Interesting, huh? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, she is a, a wonderful actress. Of course, probably most known for uh, Gone with the Wind, playing Melanie on Gone with the Wind. Uh, and she's great in that. And I actually haven't seen her in that much aside from, uh, aside from Gone with the Wind. Yeah. How about uh, Robin Hood? Do you, did, oh, yeah. Have you seen that one? That's great. Right. Because um, the other thing that she's kind of famous for, or at least historically, is the fact that we started her career at Warner Brothers kind of playing the love interest for Errol Flynn in all those uh, adventure movies. And eventually see, she kind of got tired of it. So but they wouldn't release her of her contract. So she took, she had a lawsuit against Warner Brothers that became a very famous Olivia de Havilland law that to allow actors to, you know, work 
get a little more independence in the studio era. Oh, that's cool. I didn't realize yeah. that. Yeah, so after that, she ended up at Paramount where she uh, made um, The Heiress and, you know, a bunch of other movies, um, The Snake Pit and To Each His Own, for which she also won an Oscar. So, yeah, it's an important historical figure for, for Hollywood, for sure. Yeah. And she has such a striking look about her. I, I think that uh, her eyes, her, her face, her, like she wasn't a typical Hollywood beauty, but she is obviously beautiful, but I don't know, a very, I think a very striking uh, look to her. Mm-hmm. That's interesting that you mentioned this because in the airs, obviously she is playing kind of supposed to be like this homely spinster kind of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah? Um, so, and I think some of the criticism that she got at the time, even though she also got a lot of praise, obviously she won the Oscar and everything, but um, some people were saying that she was too beautiful to play this character. So yeah. um, what do you think of that? Should we yeah. start there? Well, I can see that because she is beautiful, but there's something I feel like different about her. Mm-hmm. I think they do a pretty good job, actually, uh, with the makeup and, and stuff, you know? Uh-huh. They don't do that much. They just basically... I guess they don't pluck her eyebrows and then they give her like kind of like this pale makeup, you know? Um, but I, I mean, she's a, she's still an attractive woman, but I think that little bit of makeup paired up with her performance really, really sold me on the idea of this uh, character, especially towards the beginning of the movie. Um, yeah. I feel like she really, I don't know. She, she really embodies this kind of, I have a lot, a lot to talk about about this performance, actually. So I don't know how much yeah. you want to get into it just now. Um, what do you think? Yeah. Well, yeah. I think that that uh, she's also like like I I don't know how old she was when she was in this. It was in her thirties, but compared, it, like if they had had some, you know, eighteen year old starlet kind of a thing, I just don't think it out would have worked at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. I don't know. I I uh, I yeah. think. It's uh, it works, uh, but I can see why people said that because she is beautiful. So I don't know. It's interesting. So uh, yeah, but the character be a little older, right? Because there has to be the sense that she is kind of aging out of the marry marrying age. Yes, I, I feel like yeah. yeah. So well, I guess before we dive in uh, to details overall, what do you think of the film? Um, I thought it was a good movie. Um. I have a couple of questions and, and kind of wondering about that I'm hoping to kind of get a better sense in during this discussion as we talk about it. But in general, I thought it was a, a very good, um, solid kind of classic Hollywood type of uh, drama, uh, drawing room kind of thing, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And I thought that the, the acting in particular was, I think, the showcase here for me. Mm-hmm um yeah um, yeah it's directed by oh go ahead go ahead well i thought it was kind of a weird film different than i was expecting and i i liked it i enjoyed it but uh but for the first for such a long time i thought it was this just sort of a dr- kind of a drippy sappy romance and i i misunderstood and they make that switch to thriller kind of uh pretty late in the film and uh it was 
sort of surprising and interesting and intriguing and uh i i don't know i i it was very very i felt like it was kind of a strange movie but i liked it yeah so that's interesting because doing some research this movie is based on a play uh, which was in turn based on a henry james kind of short novel and the it's you know it's the story of this young woman who's kind of like is the only daughter of this like kind of rich doctor in new york in the 1800s and um she is kind of timid and homely, and but she is the heiress of this big fortune, right? So this guy comes along who starts to woo her and marry her, and it becomes this thing of like, um, uh, I guess like Rachel was saying, be- first it becomes like, oh, this guy coming along to like really um, see that she's actually beautiful and, and she's a great person or whatever, but then it becomes like, or oh, is he actually just doing that to take her inheritance kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently, in the play version, the character, the, the guy whose name is Morris, Morris Townsend, and the movie he's played by Montgomery Clift, but in the play, apparently, he was a more villainous character from the beginning. Some people who were big fans of the play, when they saw the movie, they thought that Montgomery Clift was too nice and too like likable, especially in the beginning part. So I actually thought that it was interesting because that I like the the switcheroo that you were talking about. The fact that at the beginning, it seems like he is a nice guy, that he's, it's a romance. And later we find out that actually it might not be what it seems. Yeah, it, it, I like the ambiguity of of not really knowing what his motivations are. Like I didn't ever feel like even at the end, I really 100% knew what his motivations were as far as, uh, you know, what, if, did he, did he love her? Uh, or was he completely, uh, was he completely motivated by greed? Or was it some mixture of the two? Or what was going on? I, I like that ambiguity. I think thrillers are usually more, uh, more like thrilling uh if 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 we don't have everything laid out for us and explained uh if we have some ambiguity some mystery uh that mm-hmm. that isn't figured out i thought that made it intriguing and i'm still sort of thinking about it uh but yeah. uh but yeah, yeah i was glad he he wasn't an obvious obvious villain yeah i i feel i mean i wonder what it would be like to to see the the other version um i know that there was a revival of the play on broadway um about 10 or so years ago with jessica Chastain lead role um so that would be interesting to to see um how they did it then um yeah what's the name of the guy from downton abbey um dan uh, stevens you know, yeah, Dan Stevens. I think he played the Montgomery Cliff role. So oh, I wonder what, wonder what his take was. That's interesting. I didn't know that. We'll wait till you hear my remake idea. Oh, really? <laughs> <Yeah>. Wow. <laughs> That's great. Hint, hint. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Like they definitely stretch out that you know sort of lovey-dovey. We're you know we're in love. We're gonna elope. That whole thing is pretty long mm-hmm yeah and i thought it was pretty convincing i mean i guess i you know i'm usually in the sort of cheesy romance world 
it's maybe that's part of it but i don't know i kind of believed that they were really in love and they were really gonna go and and uh so i was thinking what is is this a different movie than i thought it was gonna be and and uh i i kind of get it in a way because i don't know like as somebody who is you know about to turn uh uh, 40 my say and being single myself i think if i think i think i would be i'm not i wouldn't do maybe what she does but i think i would be pretty bitter if somebody (laughs) if somebody took advantage of me like that and i would be Hmm. pretty i mean i am known to hold a grudge uh and so (laughs) if somebody did something like that like i kind of get her and Mm. her anger and especially the fact that her father basically showed that he didn't love her at all and that uh, he that so her like double layer of bitter not just her her anger from her father at her father and her anger at at morris i don't know i kind of i kind of understood it uh but it 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 just was such a flip i think you're burying the lead here and not telling audience that you're actually the heiress to a gigantic (laughs) fortune (laughs) Um, so if there are any gentlemen out there who who would like to try to woo you into into becoming millionaires please line up yeah um we're, well, they're, they're, my, my, my father will be ready. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but you actually, you just mentioned a bunch of stuff that I wanted to talk about. So why don't we talk a little bit about Olivia de Havilland's performance? Uh-huh. Um, because I was wondering, um, I think, do you buy the switch? And I mean, this is something that I was wondering about because I think she's so good in the beginning part of the movie. To, I think she in general is just very good at playing this I guess, naive women or like very, you know, I feel like in the beginning of the story, she does this in Gone with the Wind as well, right? Melanie of this like Uh very kind, very uh, generous souls. And like, she is, you know, she lives with his, with Ben and she just has this, she seems a little ambivalent, right? She doesn't know about how, that she isn't supposed to bring the fish in when she gets it from the fishmonger. And she, it's this beautiful dress or this kind of like oh yeah but you don't wear it as well as your mom or whatever um and i felt a lot for her and then eventually she kind of really hardens into this um people would say totally different person that is yeah. so like you say bitter and and like uh you know the i think one of the key uh parts of the movie is when uh, the aunt asks, tells her that she's being cruel and she says yeah I can be very cruel I have been masters you know and uh, that totally highlights her shift but what do you think of that do you think she sells that transformation I think there could have maybe been like one more scene kind of showing her we don't get inside her head that well the, the movie's kind of uh, from a sort of a distance kind of observing her and so if we had one more scene where we kind of maybe her writing in a journal or just like getting a little more into her head that might have been a little better but uh but still i thought overall she did both sides pretty well it was very convincing mm-hmm. i think she's really good at both sides i i think maybe i do agree with you that i wish there a little bit of a hint 
earlier on of that she has that side in her you know yeah um and i think i guess there is a part that i noticed in the in the ballroom sequence i don't remember what the line is now but but the aunt sits next to her and she kind of uh a joke that it's like a little bit cruel that it's like a witty joke and that came a little bit unexpectedly to me i was like oh so she actually has this other side to her that she's kind of actually kind of smart and witty and she can be but in like a funny way and i wish that it had been a little bit more of that maybe yeah i could see that yeah i agree i could see that it it is and they probably carry the the love uh the they probably carry the romantic parts maybe a, a little bit too long uh that i i was beginning to really think it was this was i misinformed it was this not a thriller and then it kind of <laughs> it switches uh but uh but yeah it's uh overall i i thought it was intriguing this is a movie that i i walked away thinking like that was weird that was a weird movie but in an intriguing way i was curious about it yeah um yes i don't know if i would call it a thriller though i feel like that might be a little too too much because like you say um, is that what the impression you had going into it? Going that it was definitely, yeah. I thought oh, yeah. it was a thriller. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was kind of Hitchcockian, is what I had oh. heard um, oh. in, in in that sort of style. I'm mean, obviously this before his his uh, movies, but um, but yeah, I I thought it was uh, a thriller. Uh, but um, yeah, but yeah, it's an interesting. What do you think of Montgomery Cliff? Um. I think he does pretty well. Um, I don't think it's uh, one of his best roles. I feel like he um, he's done some some more uh, interesting stuff. Um, but I do appreciate what we were talking about that he doesn't play him as a villain or as a you know it's kind of ambiguous in a very realistic way. Um, I would say. Yeah. Do you think he was in love with her? Um. I mean, it's hard because, like, after reading all this this stuff about the play version, I, my gut feeling is like, okay, he's not meant to be in love with her, and I think, uh, and I think that he probably isn't, uh, or you know, um, because it's really weird. In my opinion, the fact that he just kind of leaves and comes back at the end seems very opportunistic, um, and I think it would read as much more opportunistic if he had played it as uh, differently. Mm-hmm. um but um but yeah that's my gut thing what do you think um i i maybe again probably just me being a, a romantic i don't know i kind of feel like he was but but he's a coward i feel like mm-hmm. he's a coward oh i can see that yeah i mean i think that's interesting that, that the movie and his performance kind of open up to that interpretation you know that it's not a hundred percent and I think that's the strength of the movie um, because at the end, her her decision can be read as triumph, but it could be read as kind of um, stubbornness and, and, and kind of being hardened by what these men have done to her, particularly her, her dad, right? Yeah. So, yeah, and her desire yeah. for sort of revenge and to be, uh, to be, have the last say. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so what do we think of the dad um played by ralph richardson who apparently when the movie came out was the big 
kind of hit with the critics. He got the best reviews and he also got an Oscar nomination. He ended oh, up yeah. not winning, but um, yeah. I mean, it's pretty cold, pretty... Uh, I mean, I think he sees himself as, as to giving the honest truth to her. And I, I guess, I don't know, I can kind of see that perspective from his perspective, but uh, it's so, it's done in such an unloving way. Like if you really believed that he was a gold digger coming after her fortune, there's no reason to say more than that and to basically make her seem uh, completely unlovable there's and and it just seemed like he didn't love her at all and Mm -hmm. you know like if somebody was concerned uh about about a potential suitor that you know your if your daughter was dating somebody that you're concerned about their motivations like there's ways to talk about that uh without being like you're unlovable (laughs) nobody would ever want to be with you (laughs) So this is an interesting question. Definitely the way he went about it contrasts especially with the way the aunt tries to break it to her a little bit later, you know, when yeah. when that it's it's more considerate way of doing it for her feelings especially. Um Yeah, so how do we feel about that? Like, you know, the um this is something that I have thought about in certain situations in life about like is it better, you know, sometimes people have said things that, that have hurt my feelings, that are things about me, but that have been, that have had some truth in them. Later I have realized like, yeah, maybe I don't agree with this or this like really hurt my feelings, but I kind of, I'm glad that I know this now or like I have used the knowledge to my advantage. I guess that's kind of what she does in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but how do we feel about that? Like, is it, or is it better to just like be nice to people? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I mean, I mean it, it, yeah. cause I feel like he, here's the thing is that he went over, you, there's no reason to say more than necessary. You know, that he could have just said, Oh, he's, he's a gold digger. He doesn't have the right of motivations all that stuff. You don't have to say you're unlovable and nobody will ever want to be with you. And if they do want to be with you, then they're lying. (laughs) You know, like you don't have to, there's no reason to say that. And what, what good does that possibly do? And, and it, it's, uh, so I don't know. I think there's no reason to say more than necessary. Yeah. I I guess the counter argument there is that she is so clearly infatuated with him and she's ready to elope and like, you know, it doesn't feel like there's anything that that the dad can say that would stop her necessarily. That Mm -hmm. being said, I do think I agree with you that just such a cold and distant figure and he just doesn't have an understanding, I guess, of how to emotionally treat his daughter, you Mm -hmm. know? Like he just, I think that's really the thing. It's it's more so he might be trying to protect her, but he just has no idea of how to go about it in a loving way. Yeah. Um, that if he had said it in a different way, maybe, you know, right. Well, because the way and, he says it, it's it's very inconsiderate. Well, and it doesn't even seem like he loves her at all. Like it seems like he's almost irritated that he has to deal with her. 
and uh, here you know she's at this emotionally vulnerable spot this most emotionally vulnerable situation and and uh, he doesn't care at all it just it's very cold very very cold yeah it's almost like um there's a spanish song that um makes me reminds me of this that it's something like it's one of those you know kind of corny romance tragedy songs Mm -hmm. but the lyrics go something like um hate me please because hate at least hate is better than indifference and it's kind of that feeling right that he just seems so indifferent to however she feels at any moment from the beginning he's just irritated by her and be like oh Catherine doing her thing yeah and you know so um yeah it doesn't feel like he really has any strong feelings toward her he's more worried about I guess his legacy and his money being used properly that's what I was just gonna say is that seems like he only cares about the money he doesn't care about her and you know if somebody had that kind of tough advice life advice to give to somebody uh i feel like there's a way to say it without being like nobody will ever love you you're (laughs) you're uh you're you're delusional to think so uh there's a way to give like a little bit of hope i don't know it's it was just very cold. It was, it was very, yeah. very. Sweet. Yeah. So I thought he did a good job, you know, with the performance, mm-hmm. uh, and you definitely dislike him. Yeah. See, he played it in a way that only a British actor could have played it. That's probably for the better. <laughs> he did a good job. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because uh, it is a movie that feels like a play, and uh, that can be a tricky thing. I actually just recently watched the one night in miami movie uh oh, at yeah. the, um, part of the i was able to watch it with toronto film festival and i enjoyed it it was good but i think sometimes it's really hard to translate a play to a movie because there's something about the theatricality particularly of dialogue uh mm-hmm. that that makes something really work and, and go from the the the, the stage and, and work for the audience member that when if it's not altered for a movie it feels sort of over the top and uh it feels a little too melodramatic i don't know there's something about that that ha- it has to be sort of recalibrated i feel like and so when they just take the dialogue from the play and and think oh well it was so dramatic and so compelling on in in the play let's put it right into the movie it usually doesn't work that well and i would say in one night in miami it does feel stagey even though i enjoyed it um there's something it's like real people don't talk quite like that people don't give speeches Mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. each other people Mm -hmm. it it's just it was just not 100 percent perfect in that regard for me uh even that so i don't know i and you've seen it you saw like that with fences or you know you see with these sort of plays uh, the uh, august osage county is a very good example of like that drama worked really well on the stage but then in the movie it just feels a little weird like people don't talk like that so why do you think uh about this movie how does it work for you in the heiress 
I think it works pretty well. I mean, it definitely feels like play. You got a little bit of that feeling, but I think they did a pretty good job of transferring it over. Um, and for, for the most part, what do you think? So William Wyler is one of those directors who was very, very successful in classic Hollywood times and has made a lot of big movies, but he was also, you know, uh, never kind of regarded as one of the auteurs or anything like that, right? So in the essays in his book, American Cinema, which is kind of the big auteurist book of American movies, he kind of classifies directors in different categories and he puts William Wyler in the less than meets the eye category. He doesn't really have that much of a personal style that he just, you know, does whatever is good for the script, but he doesn't really put his personality in it. Yeah, kind of workmanlike. Yeah, kind of like a workmanlike, like a journeyman kind of director. Um, I think, I I don't know if I've seen enough William Wyler movies to to argue for or, or against that. I've seen a movie, but that is definitely kind of the vibe that I got from The Heirs. I think it's well-directed in that I think he uh, uses very the 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 framing and the and the what do you call like the deep focus right there's characters in the background and the foreground and they move the blocking is very interesting and despite the fact that it's a play and everything takes place basically in a couple of rooms I never I was never like taken aback by that too much you know I feel like Mm -hmm. things kept moving and the camera kind of follows the characters in interesting ways Um, it doesn't call attention to itself though it's all very smooth Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and he has quite a variety in his films. I mean, everything from Ben Hur to Roman Holiday, so a pretty big uh, mm-hmm. diversity to his films. He won three Oscars, which is pretty impressive. Uh, but I, uh, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting. He has an interesting group of films, uh, but they they managed to sort of temper down the theatricality of this of the dialogue which i think makes it work better than some other plays adapted uh to uh to movies Uh, yeah i think works pretty well yeah i think it works pretty well but i guess this whole thing about william weller is something that i was thinking thinking of the questions that we usually have so maybe we can go into our first question which is what makes this a criterion film and that's when I was really wondering, because Criterion, you know, it's like a very auteurist oh, yeah. um, brand, you know? And yeah. this is an actual Criterion collection release. There's a Blu-ray um, of the heirs with, it has a bunch of extras in it that I think they look pretty good. I didn't get a chance to see them. But, mm. um, you know, what, what do we think makes this part of the collection? I th- I think that it's sort of peculiar. I mean, at least I finished the movie. I'm like, that was a really weird film. I, <laughs> I mean, I liked it, but I, I felt like they just the 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 seesaw from that it does from drippy, sappy romance to this thriller kind of aspect uh, that I was I thought that was really unusual and. So I, I think that's maybe why a little bit is that it's especially for the time period for the 1940s, it feels particularly unusual. And uh, so I think that's why it, it's got just a little bit, it's a little different. Hmm. 
Yeah, yeah, I guess, I guess so. I would say, uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm almost tempted to say if there's anything that that is that feels or anyone really that feels like the main attraction or the main creative force of this movie it might be olivia de havilland i mean i mm-hmm. it's it seems like she is the one who wanted to make me the new york and then she kind of bought the, went to paramount and william wyler and said that she wanted to buy the rights for it and she wanted to be in it um and apparently they they had it was a bit of a tough uh, shoot between her and Wyler while they were doing the movie he was kind of pushing her but I think the performance is very um, memorable and I think definitely stands out as the big Olivia de Havilland starring performance right and when mm-hmm. I feel like when she died this is the movie that people were talking about in terms of showing her talent maybe maybe yeah. Gone with the Wind is a bigger yeah. hit and Adventures of Robin Hood have been seen more widely but this is the one that when people say if you want to see a great Olivia de Havilland the heiress right me was the one that I immediately thought I gotta see this I've been wanting to see it and I gotta see it so yeah mm-hmm. I'd agree there uh, so yeah I think that that's probably why is her performance and how just sort of unusual the movie is I think is where makes it a criterion a worthy release uh so where would you put it on the pretentiousness scale interesting question it's I a hard one it's a hard one huh I, I agree um i think it's probably maybe at like a seven or something like that is where i would end up mm-hmm. i think that there's i mean there's definitely this is not like a you know crowd pleasing program or Saturday yeah. matinee movie, I wouldn't say. This has it's based on a Henry James novel, based on a Broadway play, you know. It's once it has this like literary aspirations, you know, and it's not a romance like it might seem at the beginning. It's a little bit darker, it's a little bit more psychologically complex. So I think it's seven seems right to me. What do you think? I think that's correct. I, that's basically what I what I would say uh, is it's not like super pretentious, uh, but it's a it it's not exactly a crowd pleaser either. It's like somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, let's talk about our remakes. Mine's pretty simple, but uh, but it's interesting that you said Dan Stevens earlier because that's I think that if you had michelle dockery as the lead uh character because i think she could pull off the naive and she's uh, i think right around the right age and she could definitely pull off the bitter very well and if you had dan stevens who was her counterpart in down abbey if i think it would be easy for them because they already have the chemistry you know that that's there um and i think that he could be ambivalent pretty well and he's done it in in the past and uh and so it'd be a little bit hard to figure out his motivations uh but they have the chemistry and uh i don't know i think just the two of them and and having the two of them back together would be really fun and uh so that's my I, i think it would be a pretty basic remake as far as remake you know just another adaptation of of the play i guess but uh but i think that would be really fun yeah i think that would be interesting to see them play these characters after they had played like a very romantic couple in downton abbey right 
mm-hmm. where their romance was like swoon worthy and yeah. everything right so this time around it's much more complicated in that area I yeah would be interested yeah that. because the uh the the beginning of the movie is pretty swoon worthy and so you'd and they you like i said you know that they have the chemistry to really sell that part so then when it gets darker and i know that michelle dockery for sure can play that sort of bitter uh side then i think it would really work mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah so my remake is not too far off from that either because i the biggest thing that i came out of this movie thinking of was that Catherine, what's her name Catherine. um now i can't even remember the character's name um oh in the, in the movie in the movie yeah um but anyway her name is Catherine. her last name i can remember but that she's a very um tough character um and a very interesting character to play and a very tricky character to play right thinking about this how you have to sell us on the idea that this very naive woman by the end is going to harden in the way that she does so i just kept thinking afterwards of all the different actors that i would love to see play this part and see what they would do with it you know um Mm -hmm. so i just had so many that i was thinking is there a way that we can do like a maybe like a one of those like uh um hybrid documentaries in which we just get a bunch of different actresses and we see what their take is and we compare them one to the other oh Um, that'd be interesting because i feel like this is the perfect kind of role and play to do that with because i would love to see you know what elizabeth this character i feel like she's a actor who would really be able to play both sides of this she kind of does it a little bit in mad men where her character starts out very mousy and and naive. it's true and then she develops as it goes and then I was thinking I would love to see the Cody Johnson try it I would love to see Lupita Nyong'o like what would she do you know like I and even like what would an older actress do you know what's the oldest that you can cast Catherine and what's the youngest that you can cast Catherine and sell it mm-hmm. um so yeah so I feel like that would be my my one of my like Nicole uh, Kidman, she'd be interesting. Yeah, is Nicole Kidman able to play it? Can she sell it? You know, and the and the opposite is like maybe Florence Pugh. You know, who who is a young person. She she played a younger person in Little Women. You know, when mm-hmm. she played Amy. So can she play an older person? You know. Um, yeah. Yeah. It would yeah. be interesting. Yeah, I would watch that all day. That would be very fascinating, and it would be interesting to get maybe people that are not as even as well known maybe maybe get some you know some broadway people some uh that that this is the kind of role that uh could be an interesting gateway for some interesting performers that we don't even really know about Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. yeah it's a tough role i you know i went to theater to school for theater in college and um and after watching this, I was wondering why I didn't, I, I never saw anyone do a scene from the airs in acting class. And I feel like it would be an interesting one to do. Yeah. Um, maybe the professors think it's too hard or too tricky. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. That is an interesting question. Um, and uh, they like, I don't think the dialogue, it's not one of those ones that has like these great monologues that, you know, are really flashy kind of like, that you mm-hmm. get with a mm-hmm. uh, um, mm-hmm. with a like streetcar named Desire or you know what yeah. I mean like yeah, this yeah, kind yeah. of like 
dialogue and these monologues that are uh but um but it's still a very very mm-hmm. intriguing intriguing character yeah. and performance so it I was mean, fun I, yeah. I, I, yeah 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 i think that scene with the dad would be a great acting mm-hmm. class scene um yeah that would be a good one uh so yeah i enjoyed i enjoyed this this was kind of fun this was fun and uh so what are we going to uh talk about next yeah so it is october it's spooky season so i was trying to find something that is um, you know horror related or horror adjacent but it's not too bloody for rachel because we know that um she maybe has struggled with that and it's understandable so there is a 70s horror section and on Criterion Channel, but that's all stuff like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, stuff that I feel like I was maybe... surprised they had that. I was like, whoa. Yeah, well, that's kind of regarded as a kind of like a classic now, right? It's like a very historically important movie for the way the genre yeah. uh, kind of evolved. But what I landed on was something that I'm very excited to see, which is um, the host the 2006 monster movie by mm-hmm. academy award winner bong joon ho so um you know i love his movies the host is the first one that i saw and back when i saw it i didn't quite love it but now i've seen all of his other movies and i love all of them so i'm very very excited to revisit and see if my opinion has changed oh yeah i've never seen it so i'm excited to see it and uh so that will be really fun we'll look forward to doing that next time and uh, so uh Kinrata, where can people find you online and also your uh your web series yes so you can find me on twitter at coco hits new york and you can find my web series um the best to keep up with the series which again is called wormholes and it's coming up uh, this wednesday october 14th is on instagram at wormholes.tv but the episodes will be released on youtube at the show dogs nyc channel so you can just subscribe to that if you prefer great and make sure you're following the podcast at criterion pod on twitter i would love to have you there and you can follow me at rachel's reviews all over social media itunes youtube and on rotten tomatoes so if you want to check out we're doing lots of reviews and we're we're also at the hallmarkies podcast we did our first uh christmas official 2020 start of the christmas season uh this last week with our interview with amy winter who is the executive vice president and head of programming at lifetime channel so that was very exciting to talk with her yeah yeah and uh and then we did our lifetime preview uh, uh all 30 movies uh that they are having we did our preview wow. show so that movie. i know <laughs> so that's really fun and people love the previews so check that out and uh, make sure to follow on hallmarkies podcast we're going to be having tons of fun stuff coming up so uh, it's going to be great and uh, thanks so much and we'll talk to you all uh, when we're talking uh next time about uh the host <laughs> bye bye everyone it's the criterion it's the criterion 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 in 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 in